Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, so happy you could join me this week as we talk through some items of environmental health and safety. How does it affect us? How do we lead? How do we learn? How does it really affect our culture as a whole as we're talking through and about safety? So two weeks ago, um, did a podcast about uh, a lead uh, recycler in Florida near Tampa and that one really sparked me a little bit. If you couldn't tell when you were listening, really heated me up a little bit for a lot of different reasons. And after listening to the podcast as I was traveling, I wanted to go back and really hit on that again and talk a little bit more in depth about what I was trying to say instead of what uh, really came out there. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you, you read something and you let it digest and you think about it and then you're like, okay, we're going to talk about this. We're going to, we're going to deep dive what we're seeing here. And of course there's two sides to every story. And I've been reading more and more about both sides, but I'm not really convinced that, um, there's much on the other side yet. So I'm going to continue to follow it, but really felt disjointed, felt like I wasn't really uh, giving good information. I felt like I was a little bit of all over the place. Uh, a lot of it was because it just, it upset me as a safety professional because I have seen situations such as that. I've heard of situations, not, not that bad, but y- you can see where the slope gets slippery in the environmental health safety world and where it can slowly develop into something like you're seeing there. And how do we prevent that? How do we diagnose that? How do we fix it? How do we become more, I guess, proactive in, in that process? And that's what is really leading me. So if you haven't seen it, uh, you can search it. It is from, uh, it's a lead factory. And what they do is they recycle lead out of uh, old batteries, uh, car batteries. Tampa Bay Times did a great piece of journalism. Uh, so you can search it, Tampa Bay Times, lead, you'll get plenty of hits on any search engine on that one. Read it. Um, actually, there's follow-ups to it now on their webpage. Uh, lots of photographs, lots of testimonials. Uh, good article overall. Um, not a lot of response from the company. Um, so they've kind of went on the offensive. So interesting, but something worth reading. And I, I invite you to do that. But how does this happen? And this is more than a safety system. This is a true, this is where safety focuses and brings in a systemic 
error and systemic issues within an organization. So there's more here than just safety issues. When you look at the, the piles and piles of lead dust, where the floor is being eaten away by acid, where there's just dust, lead dust hanging in the air and how they're tracking it home and how their, their blood levels are so high and everything is so much, uh, it's intense for how much lead that supposedly is being generated in the air and exposing the workers to. And the photographs are just awful when you look at them. And you wonder, where does it go wrong? Where does it start? Where does it happen? And I think the first one is, how does safety pull into your project management? Are you letting safety be part of that? Are you aggressive when it comes to project management with safety? And here's the situation. So a company buys another company. They know it's in bad shape. They start doing renovations. They improve it. So they take something that's in really bad shape, and now it's just kind of in bad shape. And, okay, well, you've made progress. That makes you feel good, and you should. You, If you're making progress in the safety world, you don't go from bad to good overnight. We all know that. It's a process, and you can't, sometimes you physically can't build enough and do enough fast enough to make it work. But are you driving the timeline? So here's an example potentially in this article, and here's what I'm envisioning when I'm thinking through this, is that they come in, they make some improvements, they've made it better, and they're happy about that. And so they slow down the progress. Well, you know, we really need to make some production. We need to make up the money we've lost in, in doing this project. So let's let this push one month, and then we'll come back and fix more. Well, one month passes and so they, well, we can't really do it just yet. And so they let them another month pass. And then they do it and then it doesn't work. And so they keep investing in the same technology. Well, let's get the vendor back in here. And the vendor goes, okay, it's going to take me three weeks to make this work. They start working on it. Uh, four weeks later, they're still behind. Well, we need a little more time to work on it. You see where I'm going? This is just going to keep delaying out. We're going to keep fixing and trying to make something work that may not work. So in your project management, is there a way to go, this isn't working? Are people over at risk? It's time to stop, move on, find something else. This is not physically working and will not physically work. How many times do you let a vendor promise you that they will get it fixed before you move on? And in this case, not sure who was doing the work, not sure what was going on, but the ventilation system supposedly never really worked or didn't work to the efficiency that it should have to filter the air inside the facility. So when you look at project management and you look at that as a big piece of HSE, when do you call it? When do you go, no, unacceptable, we're moving on? Or does your safety department have the authority to go shut it down? We're turning it off until you fix it or until I have a hard timeline that we are going to hit or we shut it down. So you either hit it or, or we're just going to stop. Do, you, do they have the authority to do, that, to do that? Do they feel empowered to do that? Wow. And that's a lot of empowerment to a safety professional to be able to make that call because that's huge. That's a huge effect. It can affect people's jobs. It affects their income. It affects so much of the organization. But is it the right thing to do? And that's the hard part. And we'll get to that part of it later on. But 
let's talk about project management some more. And how do we utilize good project management techniques? How do we use that process to make sure that we're developing the right technology to protect the team? And is it aggressive in the right way? Making small stepping stones is great. You've got to have a process, but you can't just stop and wait for three years before you make the next step if you're not in a situation where your team is safe. And I think that leads to my next one, and that's communication. Where is the communication? Who is being told that things are working or not working, and who's making that decision? So their corporate office was in Minneapolis, and it seems like the Minneapolis, Minnesota site was so much better than the Tampa. And a lot of the executives sat there. So was there a communication that really let those guys know who were setting up at the top how it was looking there? Were they going out and inspecting it? Did they see it? I mean, it's one thing to be promised and told, hey, yeah, we're following all your policies. Are you inspecting it? Are you auditing it? Are you looking at it to see if it's really what you expect? And that's another huge system within safety is how do we go about going out there and seeing and comparing? Here is the expectation. Do we match the expectation? So let's talk more about safety auditing right after this break. More coming up on the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, the safety dude. So who is the safety dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety www.tsdamoglamated.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. So we want to talk a little bit more about auditing. And the curiosity hits me here of that you have one system that's working extremely well, one that is not, and a huge disconnect between the two of the corporate office versus this one that's not. And you wonder, did they ever look at it in person? Did they send a team down there to understand it, to, to really view it and set standards and set corrective actions? And that's a good auditing process. So maybe they have some really great processes. They probably do because they actually have a registration at the other one that was an environmental system. So they probably do have a robust system. So let's take that system and let's turn it into an audit and let's go down there and see, does it match? And I think that may have been a huge disconnect that they were not going out there and inspecting to see if it's really what they say it is. And is it what we expect? Now, I'm really going to avoid the idea that they didn't do it to avoid having to put anything on paper about how bad it was, because does that happen in the safety world? Yeah, you do hear about that. You hear about people deciding not to audit certain locations because they don't want to document. They don't want discoverable evidence that they knew 
how bad it was. That's tough to believe that. So I'm going to skip that part, but it's out there and that's real. And let's, let's go past that. So the next thing that really is interesting is that there's a huge criticism on how the Occupational Safety and Health Administration handled this site, that there were multiple complaints. Uh, they, they audited it there for a while, and then there's like a five-year break between the last audit. They did an IH sampling, and for the wrong chemical at one point, they looked at certain areas that may not have been perfect. Sometimes they had a heads-up that OSHA was coming, so they would do a lot of preparation. And even the workers would jump in and do a lot of preparation to make sure that the whatever location or whatever area looked good. And so what does, how does OSHA handle this? So when they come in to do a focused audit, usually they go to one location to look at where is the complaint, or they do sampling for whatever chemical you tell them that you're worried about. So either A, OSHA got confused, sampled for the wrong chemical, or again, I hate to think of it this way, but were they misled and told to sample for the wrong chemical? Don't know. And then if they're going in for this focused review, they could clean that area, take OSHA outside, bring them in just one door to see that one area that may have been looking better, and then left. Because you can focus them on that. Maybe it wasn't, I don't see anything about wall-to-wall inspections or anything of that sort, but the the heads up kind of bothers me some, that how were they getting notice every time that they were going to be inspected? Um, that's concerning about how that happens. Uh, I've been, I've been part of OSHA inspections where they'll call and ask for a written response that could lead to an inspection. So you have kind of an idea that they're looking at something. I've also been the, there where they've knocked on the door and said, Hey, we're here to do a walkthrough. Okay, let's do it. It happens that way. So I've never been, uh, had that luxury of having a week to prepare. <laughs> so I'm concerned about how that happened. I think there'll be more information that will come out about why that did not work the way it should have. And so I think there was some failure there of some kind. And I think this ultimately, let's pull it back one more step. And let's now look at our Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Everyone needs food, water, and shelter. They're going to choose food, water, and shelter over safety because that's the first need. And so you have an organization that's providing good-paying jobs, and even the article points this out, is that they focused on hiring people that may not have been able to find another job that paid that well. So they focused on a very specific subclass of socioeconomic people. They brought them in knowing that they were paying them very well, and that they had a choice. Like, if OSHA comes in and shuts us down, guys, you're, uh, you're without a job. You don't, have, you don't have money for your food, water, and shelter. So people will choose to work unsafe, to be in an unsafe environment because it provides that. And that bothers me that um, in a country such as this, that that has to be a choice sometimes. Not to get political, everybody has their thoughts on why that is or if that is and what that is, but it's still bothersome. At the whole, I don't have an answer for it because that is a huge issue that's been around for a long time, but it's bothersome that we have to choose that. 
And this company seemed to very well know that because it would rally people into jumping in there and trying to to, to do more to protect it, uh, to make sure that OSHA had a good look. And now it seems like now that the floodgate is starting to open, we're seeing a lot more photographs coming out. We're seeing a lot more people coming forward and talking about it because they feel more comfortable about it. Um, and I think it, that's sometimes what it takes is one brave soul being that whistleblower to allow other people to come out and say things that, yeah, this isn't right. We need to talk about it. And so we look at the fact that they were needing a method and a way to jump in there and try to, I guess, communicate or talk about it. And so there's the concern is what is the system that's in place to allow your team to openly talk about safety without fear of retaliation. That's a law. But so many times, it's really hard to strike that balance. And it seemed here there wasn't much of a balance, potentially. That it was just, no, you're going to do it because you want your job here. And you don't want to lose this good-paying job with your benefits and everything that comes with it. That's concerning. And there has to be a way, and there has to be a method for your team to communicate up, even to the top level, to find things out. And I think, again, that's that disconnect in the system, the disconnect in the communication, the disconnect in the stop work process. Does your company have a stop work process? should consider it. It's a very powerful, very empowering process that allows visibility to what is happening in the organization. So anyway, Wanted to talk about that again. Again, look it up. Um, again, Tampa Bay Times, lead story. Um, really good piece, an interesting piece of health and safety journalism and some of the dark side of what we see in the safety world. Wanted to kind of focus on that one more time, trying to bring those systems together and look at, okay, let's look at project management. Let's talk about communication. Let's talk about our hiring practices. Let's talk about the way that we audit and that we try to improve and drive that improvement through what we do in the organization. So anyway, I appreciate you joining me for this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Always glad to talk about these issues in health and safety. And until next time that we chat, stay safe. listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.